Thank you, Muriel. So as you can see, our psalm tonight is Psalm 32. So if you find your way there, if you haven't already, and put a, a finger or thumb in that spot, because uh, we're not going to begin there. We're going to begin actually in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So you know where I'm going. Most of you are familiar with the psalm. You're familiar with the background of this particular psalm. But if you would join me there in 2 Samuel chapter 11, that's where we'll start. So I'll give you a, a moment to get there. I wanted to let you know, and especially the ladies know, that uh, I had announced on Sunday morning that the ladies had uh, raised about uh, $3,000 um, for the Send Hope from, from their uh, ladies' Calvary uh, Christmas Calvary <laughs> Cafe. Thank you. Oh, that's not good if I can't even get the announcements done. Anyway, um, you know, about <clears throat> twenty six hundred came in, and then as the brothers were doing the books after services, more a little bit more was coming in, and then uh, I always slip in there toward the end of them counting the. The, uh, the offering, and they told me that someone had given another $2,000. So the church kind of rounded up, you know, the 3000 and then another 2000 So $5,000 uh, went off on Sunday afternoon to send hope. And I got to tell you, you know, you may or may not understand how far that money will go in India. And, and you know, we don't boast in ourselves, but we should rejoice yeah. that we've played a part in this, you know. And, and I, think of, I think of the ladies, you know, I just think of the, the women of, of my family. So, you know, they're making these crafts and everything, and, and they're doing all these things. And I know they're not the only ladies, obviously. When you see, there's many different things that are made. Some of the men made some things. And, and maybe I need to encourage the guys to do that next year so we could have even more things, you know, out there. But, you know, they, they really put their heart into these things. Um, some of our young people as well making jewelry and, and just different things. And, you know, and I always enjoy on the Friday morning as the ladies are dropping off all of their stuff, Usually Tracy's the last one to leave the building that day and she'll call me downstairs and we'll just kind of walk around and look at all the crafts and I'll say, well, oh, who did this and who made these and oh, isn't this wonderful and that's going to be great. And um, Tracy will usually say something like, oh, I want one of these, but I know I'm not going to get in here soon enough or whatever. And but there's this expectation, this anticipation of how the evening's going to go. And, you know, I know it's fun for the ladies, you know, the devotion and the treats and the fellowship and the worship and all of that. But I just think of how that's just like our Lord. He says, I want to bless those who are making these items. I want to bless those who are going to be purchasing these items, you know, donations on these items. I'm going to bless um, the ladies as they come out for this event. I'm going to bless the children uh, in India and the people that are going to be, you know, these funds are going to be going to. And, and, and then there's the, the blessing, you know, that we know so little about, but one day when we arrive home, and the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. And our deeds will be judged at the, at the Bema Seat. Not, our, not salvation. It's not a salvation issue, but it's the things we've done in Jesus' name. And, and I just know that, you know, the blessings, 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 blessings. So thank you for playing a part in that. I just wanted to share that great news. I, I thought it was a wonderful blessing. 2 Samuel chapter 11, we'll begin in verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to war that David sent Joab, his servant, with him. I'm sorry, sent Joab and his servants with him. 
and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. David, he's a king. He is the warrior king. And yet he wasn't part of this battle. And yet the Lord gave them victory. And David wasn't there to celebrate, to be a part of the victory. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him. I'm emphasizing that because, you know, there are these strange things. In fact, I came across this, this article, you know, David's raping of Bathsheba, and I thought, what in the world? This was a mutual thing. She was not forced. He called for her. This was wrong. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But this was not what apparently some are suggesting. She came willfully. Um, and David took her and she came to him and he let lie with her for she had she was cleansed from her impurity and she returned to her house. She was cleansed from her impurity. I believe that what is being stated here is that she had recently ended her menstrual period. Um, you know, the law had requirements for absolutely everything. You might be thinking, why in the world would we need to know that? Well, it's important to know this because if she just came off of her period, she wasn't pregnant before this happened. You see, the Lord gives us details. He wants us to understand things. And it says, she returned to her home, and the woman conceived. Obviously, time is going by. We're reading this very quickly, but time is, is going by. And she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Then David sent. Note all the sending that's going on here. Sent to Joab, saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah had come to him, David asked him, or asked how Joab was doing, how the people were doing, how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But, verse 9, but Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. Verse 15, same chapter. And he wrote this letter, that's David, and he wrote this letter saying, send Uriah in the front forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. And then verse 21, kind of the end of that, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. All's well that ends well. Chapter 12. And verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Note, it's the Lord speaking through Nathan the prophet. I anointed you king over Israel. And I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do this evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. And have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore. 
Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversaries or adversity against you from your own house and I will take your wife before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. And verse 13, so David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Psalm 20, or Psalm 32. <coughs> Psalm 32, look at verses 3 and 4. David writes, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. He makes a statement. He says, Selah, stop. Think about what I'm saying. Let it sink into your mind. Father, we pray that as we look at the psalm tonight, that you would teach us, you would give us understanding. Lord, we can't help but believe that when David wrote this psalm, he wrote it so that he might instruct others. And we pray, Father, that we would be those others tonight, that would have ears to hear what your spirit has to say. We believe, Lord, that as you led David to write these things by your Holy Spirit, they were they have been recorded for our benefit so please we ask that you would teach us in jesus name we pray amen this psalm is um in the psalm when you read it it seems as if david is saying to his reader Learn from my mistakes. Don't do what I've done. It's costly. It's painful. It's a, you know, it's a miserable way to go. When you read the psalm, it's as if David was saying to sinners, Don't be like me. Don't put it off, that is repentance. Deal with it. Bring it to the Lord. Deal with it quickly. Don't delay. In Proverbs chapter 29, I gotta bring this guy up a little bit. It says, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. You know, I think I could have gone to many different scriptures that said just that, because this really seems to be the message of the Bible. It surely is the message of the New Testament. The message, of course, of the New Testament is that Jesus is the one who's made this possible, that, that the repentant sinner... Um, who's confessing and forsaking will find mercy. I mean, this, this truly is the message of the Bible. So you look at this, though, and, and, I, and I threw it out kind of sarcastically, kind of tongue-in-cheek. Well, you know, Uriah's dead. Well, all's well that ends well. All's well that ends well. And I think that David would say, not so fast. <laughs> not so fast. Again, reading, you don't have to turn there, but from 2 Psalm chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, Nathan, the prophet, says, However, because of this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. You've done this, David. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. 
No, guys, I think sometimes we think that the child was stillborn, you know, that Bathsheba came to the point of giving birth and the baby was, you know, born dead. But the baby was alive. How old was the baby? What was the baby's name? Um, were they, you know, kind of this happy little family? I mean, excluding all the other happy little families that David had as king, which was never God's intention or desire. But the text goes on to say, then Nathan departed to his house and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and it became ill. I read those those words and I think of the natural mind, even the natural mind in the church, because sadly, uh, our, our minds many times, if we're, if we're not diligent, if we're not faithful in the word of God, we just naturally think foolishly or naturally. They're probably the same. The natural mind thinks immediately, why would God do that? The spiritual mind would say, oh, David, why did you do that? See, if God was a loving God, isn't this the message of, of, of the world today and sadly of the church today? I was listening to Tom Hughes uh, earlier on this afternoon and his Wednesday little program came out and it caught my attention because it was, is your pastor a coward? And, uh, and he goes on, you know, to in essence say there's a lot of cowards in a lot of churches because the goal is to build the church, to keep people, to tickle ears, you know, rather than to just simply, you know, teach the word of God. And, uh, you know, <laughs> what's going to happen is going to happen. It's, you know, it's just you leave it up to the Lord. This is God's word. If people reject it, they reject it. If they receive it and apply it, praise the Lord. Their lives will be changed. Guys, I want you to think about this for a moment. And uh, maybe you're familiar with this. And, and if you are, then I'm just telling you something you already know. But, but did you know that Bathsheba's father, we read his name, Eliam, in, in, in Chronicles, in, in First Chronicles chapter 3, we're told that his name is also, Amiel. So you'll see this name in, in two different places. But did you know that, that Bathsheba's father was one of David's, listen to me, 30 mighty men? I want to emphasize the 30 because, see, if we're, if we're looking at David's mighty men, like early on, like 1 Samuel, we'd say, yeah, you know, there were these men, they were discontent, they were in debt, they were, you know, they began to ride with, with David, and David, they were, you know, and then the, it went from 200 to 400. We're not talking about them. We're talking about the 30. I mean, that's what they were called, the 30. So these are, these are the elite I'll, I'll say more about them in a moment. But did you know that, that David's, uh, or that Bathsheba's father was one of David's 30 mighty men? And of course, maybe you didn't know this, that Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, was one of David's 30 men. We're not talking about 30,000. Who's that guy? We're talking about 30. We're talking about David maybe sitting in a room and he's looking at 30 men and he knows them and he trusts them and he knows what this guy's strength is and knows what this guy's strength is. And he knows how to use these men in battle. That these are the elite. We live in a Navy town, so I'm going to say it. These are the Navy SEALs. These are David's elite. These are, these are the toughest. These are the most loyal. These are 
These are warriors. Bathsheba's father, Bathsheba's husband, part of the small group of David's hand-picked men that have proven themselves to be loyal to David. You remember it. Let me read it. On one occasion, David said, with longing, they're in battle. It's, you know, the heat of the battle. They're, David is thirsty, and he's just kind of reminiscing. And he, he says, oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. They were not in Bethlehem. <laughs> If someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew the water from the well of Bethlehem, and was at the gate, by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. And the text goes on to say, nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. Why do I read that? These men, I mean, three of them risked their life to give David a drink of water from a well that he drank out of when he was a boy? That's love. That's devotion. That's, that's truly, listen, that's not lip service, but that's, I'll die for you. I've got your back. They loved David. And I think that, I think that David loved them. And, and I, well, let me go on. Did you know that Bathsheba's grandfather, Ahithophel, I mentioned him on Sunday, was David's chief counselor? Did you know that? We know that when Absalom rose up and rebelled against David, that Absalom, or that Ahithophel, excuse me, left David and went with Absalom. Here's my question. Do you think, do you think this whole thing had anything to do with that? David, you you had my son-in-law murdered. How could you do this to me, David? You did this to me. Did you know that when David became king and, and he wanted to show favor to somebody in Saul's family. Do you remember that? And, and there was that fellow Ziba. I'm probably not pronouncing How do you pronounce his name? Ziba? I think that's how you pronounce it. And David said, are there any left in Saul's family? And Ziba said, well, yes, there's, there's, there's one, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was um, Jonathan. So Jonathan, remember how tight that Jonathan and David were? They loved each other. I mean, they had a deep, undying love for one another. But um, this Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son, who had become crippled when he was five years old because when the Philistines were killing off Grandpa and his father, the maid, the nurse, picked up Mephibosheth was running with Mephibosheth, dropped him, and he became lame in his feet. Did you know that when Ziba said, well, yes, there's, there's one, there's, there's Mephibosheth, he's in the house of Makar. I know I'm mis mispronouncing his name. May-K-I-R, Makar. Do you know that that was... Bathsheba's brother? Did you know that? I know you're thinking, Dan, you're, you're setting this up for something, obviously. You know, you're... Here it is. David's sin 
had an impact upon so many people who were close to him. I mean, how devastating. Again, you know, who is she? Well, she's the daughter of one of your 30. She's the wife of one of your 30. You recognize the name, don't you, David? Boy, she looks good. And I have my urge, my urges, my desires, you know. David not being where he should be. And, and, and guys, there's so many illustrations that you could draw from this, you know. I mean, when we're not where we should be, when we, when, when, you know, you, you kind of set yourself up for, for, for the, the, the fall. And, and you, you look at this and it just, it's so, well, verse 32, blessed is he whose transgressions is forgiven. The word transgressions, it literally means revolt, rebellion, trespass. Listen, it's not just a, boy, I really messed up. No, this was a revolt. This was rebellion against God himself. David says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is, oh, is covered. Guys, this is important. It was covered until it could be taken away. It couldn't be taken away until Jesus came and went to the cross. Remember, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see this principle. The sins of the Old Testament saints was never taken away. Ever. Until Christ came. Do you understand that this is so vital, this is so important? Because if we don't understand this, we, we, we begin to break up the Bible and almost like, well, there's before Jesus and there's after Jesus and God kind of changed his mind and there's a different system in order and that's not true at all. Jesus is seen in Genesis. He's in the very beginning of the book. We see him throughout the volume of the book. throughout, And, and Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the one who takes away the sins of the world. But it's interesting, that word covered, it literally means to fill up like a void. If, if you had like a, a, you know, a hole and you needed to fill it up, that's what it means, to, to cover, so it kind of has that picture. Or to cover, you, you know, your, maybe your nakedness. So to cover something that you, you don't want seen. You know what it makes me think of? Well, let me ask you. Does anything come to mind when you think of that? Covering. Adam and Eve. Oh, that's good. That's very good, Tosh. I didn't even think of that. I should have thought of that one because that's really the first one. Wonderful. Great illustration. Anyone else? She said Adam and Eve. Remember, he covered their nakedness. So that was very good. No, no, no. We're talking. Stay on the same track as Tosh was on. Noah. Noah. Who said that? Good, you get an A. <laughs> Noah. But that's what I thought of. Noah. Mission is accomplished. He plants a vineyard. He gets drunk. He's there naked. His son comes in, does something. I mean, we're not even clear what he does. And the other sons come in. They back in with a cover, and they cover their father's nakedness. And I just, I, I just thought of that. I thought of that picture, you know. One mocks, two, they do the right thing. Well, anyway, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my, though my, uh, through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity, and I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Again, stop, ponder, think about what I'm saying here. 
For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in the time when you may be found. Surely in the flood, in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. We'll stop there and I'll pick it up in a moment. David, he said, when I kept silent. Oh, by the way, you know why David was a man after God's own heart? I say it all the time, because he took his lumps. I mean, you know, it's not that David was perfect. There is no one perfect. David sinned. He sinned horribly. His sin had an effect upon many, many people. But David took his lumps. Do you think he was bitter toward Nathan because, um, you know, Nathan came bearing this bad news, this word of judgment, you know, how dare you? You know, I've, as a pastor, I know that many people, you know, hate the messenger. I've experienced that many times. I don't think so. You say, well, how do you know? Because they named, they, Bathsheba and David, named their third son Nathan, after the prophet, no doubt. I don't think that's a coincidence. But David, when he failed to acknowledge and to repent of his sin, it affected him physically, physically. I was watching just briefly, a long, long time ago, probably the early 80s, Chuck Smith did an interview with Tex Watson, Charles Watson, uh, in prison. Uh, Tex, of course, was part of the Manson family and did a lot of the slaughter and killing of the LaBiancas and the uh, Sharon Tate, the people that were at her home. Horrible, horrible things. He came to Christ, and um, I was doing prison ministry, and, and I actually corresponded with him uh, during that time. Um, Pastor Chuck did an interview with Tex uh, to just see if his faith was genuine, you know. And, and uh, it was kind of prompted by a woman that went to our church in Grass Valley who was the daughter of the LaBiancas. And she wanted, you know, she had heard that he had become a Christian. She wanted to, uh, you know, to see if it was genuine. And she actually had an interview, had a sitting with Tex Watson, Charles Watson, and um, she's talking with him, and um, and then she said, well, I, Charles, I wasn't sure I was going to share this with you. I just kind of wanted to see what you had to say. And um, he said, she said, but I, I feel like I, I need to tell you something. And he says, what's that? And he says, she said, you know, my father, you murdered my father. My parents, the LaBiancas, you know. And Charles broke down, you know. He's just so ashamed of, of what he had, of what he had done. The, the, the video was so moving because it didn't end with the focus being on Charles Watson. It ended with the focus being on the daughter of the LaBiancas. And she said, I've, I've been sick. I've been physically sick for years. And, and that sickness, that, that, that just that yuckiness that I felt went away when I forgave Charles Watson. And I couldn't have forgiven Charles Watson if he hadn't if he wasn't repentant and he hadn't come to faith in Christ and, and, and that there was fruit of his repentance. But I, I thought of that. I thought of how it was affecting her because she was just holding this bitterness and this anger and how it was affecting her physically in her body. And David is describing a similar thing. He says, it affected me. The, the, the King James uses the word waxed old. My bones waxed old. You know, guys, we can't escape from ourselves. We can't escape from our guilt. We can't escape from the Lord. 
And yet David, here's a man who, again, he's not like so many people you find in church that Jesus or God is someone that you can take or leave, you know. I'll show up when it's convenient. But this is a man that loved the Lord. Again, not perfect. But this is a man that knew that everything he had was from the Lord. As a shepherd boy being anointed the next king of Israel, well, he wasn't, he wasn't seeking that. God chose him for that. You know, being on the, on the run from your father-in-law, the king of Israel, for all that time. You know, being, I mean, just all of these things. Being given the throne, you know, and, and then given um, not just Israel, but Judah and Israel. It's a united kingdom under David. And all of these victories and the bringing back of the ark and, and all of these, you know, just kind of things back and forth. But he was a man after God's own heart. He's a man who loved God. It's apparent when you read the Psalms. David loved him. We don't have any Psalms from Saul. What do we have from Saul? I didn't do it. I didn't think you were going to show up. So I just went ahead and offered the, the, the animals anyway, you know. So what have you done? You have no authority to do these things. Because Saul was a man pleaser. I was afraid, man, these, these people were starting to turn against me. And, and I, was, I was concerned about my popularity among the people, you know. And that's not David. David was not a man pleaser. The only man he sought to please, and we see it here, is himself with Bathsheba. But, you know, guys... His unrepentant, unconfessed sin was eating at his heart, at his mind, and that's a good thing. If there is no conviction of sin, I mean, if we're, if we're in sin, if there's some habitual thing, um, you know, and it's just something you're continuing in, and, and David was continuing in it. You know, you can't say, well, you know, that was kind of a one-night stand. And then, yeah, but the one-night stand led to the death of her, of her husband. And not only her husband. There were other men that were killed because of the plan to kill Uriah. Remember, and I, I just read a few scriptures for time's sake, but hopefully it whets your appetite to say, I want to read the whole thing when I get home. But even Joab says, listen, when you go and you tell them that uh, things did not go well today, we lost some men today. And, and when the king begins to get angry and say, what were you doing so close to the city wall? Again, you know better, men. I got my 30 elite over squadrons or however they might have gone out you guys know better what are you doing he says well, now 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 when he gets upset about the guys that were killed just tell him uriah your servant is dead and he'll calm down you see what i'm saying i mean like they, they just kind of know this is like the the cover-up you think of how stumbling this whole thing was listen if we don't feel guilt when we're in sin and I'm, and I'm not talking about, you know, you sinned, I, I did something, I said something, I told a lie, you know. You, you just deal with it and move on. But I'm talking about a habitual thing. You're just kind of continuing in this thing. It, if you don't feel guilt, it's because your conscience has been seared with a hot iron. There's no longer any feeling. And that's not a good thing. He says, again, your hand was heavy upon me. That's conviction. David's conscience Conscience was never at rest, and this is a good thing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for pain. Thank you, Lord, that we're not like a leper who has no feeling in his feet or hands or, or body parts any longer, and he just keeps destroying his, his, his body parts because there's no feeling there. Thank you for the feeling of pain, Lord. So ah, I don't want to do that again. Be careful where you walk. Be careful what you're doing. You know. Thank you, Lord, for the conviction of sin. That, thank you that I feel that guilt. Thank you that I, I feel that. I, I, there's something wrong. You know, Lord, I know that I'm forgiven. Even as Christians, you know, guys, um, I know I'm forgiven. I've confessed it. I know. But sometimes, don't you just feel it? I feel it. 
as a child of God. Sometimes I just feel like I just need to get alone. I need to be alone with the Lord. I just need to, I need to talk to him. I need to sit in his presence. I need to be still. I need to be quiet before him. I need to just listen to him. I mean, I think that's what a child of God does. And yet David kept putting this off. And, and you look at the contrast. You have transgression contrasted with forgiveness. Sin contrasted with covered. Iniquity contrasted with not imputed. How beautiful. And David tells us how, how he got there. And how did he get there? He confessed his sin. Now, um, I didn't plan this. I didn't, you know, I, um, I was looking at the Psalms, reading through the Psalms, and I kind of camped on the Psalm a few weeks ago. And I thought, well, I think I'll kind of study that. You know, as a Bible teacher, um, I have a lot of Bible studies that have been started and never finished. And sometimes I'll come back and, and then maybe the Lord begins to speak to me about something and then I could kind of pick up on it and, and finish the thing and teach it. But, um, but I was just thinking today how ironic it is that there just seems to be so many that are struggling with sexual immorality and and um, married people who have not been faithful to their spouse. And it gets discouraging. Do you ever get discouraged by the the state of the church? I, I get discouraged. I, you know, I'll, I'll name some names that for most of you are just names. They mean nothing to you. But, you know, I think of, I think of Larry Norman. Larry Norman was a, you know, Jesus, he sung, you know, he, he was a Christian artist before there was ever a Christian label. Uh, his albums were recorded at Capitol, which a lot of, you know, if you listen to different rock bands and stuff, they were recorded at Capitol Records as well. And Larry Norman, he was always just kind of, you'd always just say it as it is. And, and he was always kind of a, you know, an outsider and, and a rebel type of thing. And yet, um, you know, his lyrics were thoughtful and at least they moved me. I like music, so I don't really get it when people can listen to music and it doesn't affect them. I, I, music, I always have music playing um, whenever I'm in motion, you know. But Larry Norman, you know, right before he died, a few years before he died, it came out that he had a love child in Australia with a woman, kind of a one-night stand type of thing. And she, you know, had been in contact with Larry, and he just kind of pushed it off, pushed it off, pushed it off. And then finally, when the boy was a teenager, and the boy started saying, well, so that's my dad? Larry Norman's my dad, you know? Yeah, that's your dad. I, I want to meet my dad. So then the mom kind of started pushing the issue for her son's sake. And Larry, he just didn't man up. He denied that it was his son until he couldn't deny it anymore. And then it was like, yeah, this is my son. <clears throat> and I thought, what's wrong with you, Larry? What's wrong? I think of, you know, I, I mentioned him, though he's not in our camp, you know, but Mike Bickle, you know, International House of Prayer. He's kind of a big guy in the uh, kind of the charismatic type of thing and, you know, has accusations brought 
from 20 years ago, and you know, finally this week came out with a confession. Uh, but his confession really, uh, it sounds like he's more the victim than the offender. Not a man after God's own heart. Not like David. Oh Lord, I have sinned against you. you know. And Lord, I'm sorry for the ramifications that it's going to have upon my family and those dear to me. And so, you know, he's come out and, you know, but he seems to be more concerned about his own. And there seems to be this very weak, you know, I repented of it. I was unfaithful. Yes, it's true. I was morally unfaithful. But I did not do the things that I'm being accused of. So, you know, backpedal, backpedal. I'm sorry that it hurt my wife and my children. What about the girl? What about the young woman that you would prophesy over and say, God, God has told me that when my wife dies, you're to be my, because see, for Mike Bickle, he's David. Mike Bickle is always the David character. It's manipulation. No mention of her. I had a conversation today with someone. You can't do this. Do you understand you can't do this? You have no right to do this. You're hurting your family. You're hurting your wife. There is a sorrow that really bears no fruit. I'm sorry that this happened to me. I'm sorry that my ministry has to end this way. I'm sorry that all this bad press is coming because of me. And there is a sorrow that leads to salvation. Oh, Lord. Forgive me for what I've done. I acknowledge my sin to you. And my iniquity I have not hidden. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7, guys. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. David, he acknowledges, only God can unburden my guilt. Only God can forgive me of my sin. Only God can cover the shame of my iniquity. Only God can give me the joy of pardoned sin. Only God can reconcile me to himself. You have forgiven the iniquity of my sins. Psalm 103, 12, you guys know it. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And we say, wonderful. And it is wonderful. It is so wonderful. I, you know, I, 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 I was upstairs, um, a little bit before service started tonight, and this just kind of popped into my mind. I, I, so I wrote it down. I actually put it in my notes. It says, um, our, our sins is the cause of the cross, and the cross is the remedy of our sins. And it's true. Jesus went to the cross because of our sins. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. See, um, for what cause? Well, God is just. God sees. God doesn't wink at, at sin. You know, th th this, this whole 
uh, you know, Mike Bickle said, I repented of what I did 20 years ago. It's covered under the blood. The only reason I'm bringing it up now is because someone else has brought it up. Well, the someone else who's brought it up was now the 40-year-old woman, her and her husband, had come to Mike to talk to him about these things that were happening when she was 18 years old, who came to the International House of Prayer to serve the Lord in ministry. And he manipulated her. And he took advantage of her. You say, well, she's 18. I mean, she knows better. Uh, yeah, hey. It's so tragic. You know, it's so tragic that we live in a day where there's actually a term, there's actually a, a, a title. <laughs> you know, we hear spousal abuse. We all know what that is. Now there is pastoral abuse. Or spiritual abuse. And this is when people use their position in ministry to manipulate people for their own advantage. This is so shameful. So shameful. Mike, if this woman and her husband had not approached you, not seeking money, but seeking repentance, if they hadn't come to you, would you ever confess it? Would you ever admit it? Would you continue to play the, the, the charade, uh, charade that, uh, charade, charade that, <laughs> I sound like a British or something, um, charade that, you know, everything's okay? If it, if, it, if it wasn't brought to your attention, you know. You know, guys, I don't want to go long tonight, but I, I when, before Tracy and I and Josh went to Calvary Chapel Grass Valley, like, I think it was two weeks, or no, 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 it was two weeks before we went there that the new pastor came from Sill Beach and that Mike, uh, Mark uh, Carlson, and that was our pastor. So he had only been there for two weeks when we came there. So it was kind of like this, this new thing in the church. But the pastor that had started that church um, on a Wednesday night with a crowded group of people decided to confess before all those people and his wife, who was there in the midst, he decided that that would be a good time to confess that he had an affair years earlier. What an idiot. Think of his wife. He should have been doing that confessing to his wife in their home and not shaming and humiliating her in this open way. Do you know what happened on that night that he did that? <coughs> Another man in the church stood up spontaneously and said, I want to confess. I was unfaithful to my wife. I mean, it was like a bomb had gone off in that, in that building. Now you have these wives, they're hearing this for the first time. It's like, what are you doing? There's no sensitivity. There's obviously no leading of the Holy Spirit. It's like this emotional thing that you're going to do this now in front of everybody. And it did not, it did not bear fruit. It just, it created 
horrible, horrible. Well, that, that's why the guys had to step down, you know. The damage was done. His wife was done. You know, how humiliating it was for her, this poor woman, to have that exposed publicly like that. It wasn't the Lord doing that. And that's when our pastor came in. She said, why do you mention that? Because, you know, guys, if, if there's something that needs to be confessed, and some things, you know, we do just move on. But if it was something like that, to where you had this adulterous relationship with somebody, you know, I, I need to say it. I'm going to say it. Because I said it earlier today, and I, I said it to someone much younger th than me, and I had to say it very, very straight, and I know I'm going to sound like the old fart, but that's okay. Man, men, you have no right to have female friends. Don't be foolish. Women, you have no right to have male friends. Oh, we just connect, you know. Who are you on the phone with? Oh, I'm on the phone with Fred. Well, if you're her husband, I would be getting up and taking that phone and saying, we're done with this. We're not, we're not talking to Freddie any longer. And neither are you talking to Susie any longer. And here's the thing, guys. I, you know, I'm emotional about this because as a pastor, I deal with this more than I want to deal with this. That, that you know, things happen. Don't get me wrong. None of us are above these things. But there should be safeguards that we set up. We have a policy here. Uh, you don't counsel someone of the opposite sex without someone else in the building. I had someone come in. Uh, just this week, I told Trace, I said, babe, I'm counseling. It's a female. Uh, would you come down? Yeah, I'll be down there. I said, well, you, you guys don't trust yourself. You don't trust each other. Oh, no, it's just wise. I remember when um, Calvary Chapel, San Diego, one of the assistant pastors walked one of the ladies out after, after counseling. He walked her to her car. And this was kind of a pattern. And when he got back into the church, the senior pastor said, come on in my office. You're done. What, I haven't done anything. The appearance of evil is evil. You need to have safeguards put up. I'm not saying that if we have the safeguards set up, we're never going to mess up, we're never going to fall. I mean, anything's possible. But I just think if we're not wise, if we're not set up. You know, I've heard people say, it was Bathsheba, that Jezebel. She's out there bathing. Yeah, oh yeah. And she knew that David was going to wake up in the middle of the night, walk on the roof of his house, because remember, that's where the patio would be. Look down, see her. I mean, was she in there like with cold water saying, is he there yet, you know? I mean, you know, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. But I'm telling you guys, if, and I think the older folks get this. I hope the older folks get this. That we don't have the right to do that. Because there is a natural connection. There, there, there is this thing, you know. You, you, um, oh, I wish my husband was as understanding as you. Oh, you're such a good listener. Oh, I wish my wife could understand me the way you understand me. And it's like you're setting yourself up for, for disaster. And we need to be so, so aware and so, so careful of these things. I was a carpenter, I was in my 20s. We were building a law office. One of the secretaries in the law office had talked to one of the other carpenters and said, was asking about me. 
oh, that guy, you know, uh, da, 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 da. Well, the guy tells me, he says, oh, Danny, you should go for it. I just kind of looked at him like, what? You know, I'm married. I have three children at that time. I'm a Christian man. I'm not, you know, you know what I did? I avoided that woman like the plague. Not because I'm so hot that she couldn't control herself, <laughs> but, but because, you know, you just, you, you can, there's a way of sending a message. But I think many times we become flattered by those things. And then we're sending another message. And then we wonder, how did this happen to me? I don't know how this happened. And once again, I'm out of time. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve or guard uh, me from trouble. You shall sing songs of deliverance. Uh, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. You know, guys, look at verses 8 on down. I will. Who will? The Lord will. As David is writing this, now he's writing as if he's speaking for the Lord himself. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, stubborn, stupid, you know, which have no understanding, which must be <laughs> harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many shall be, uh, many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Listen. So, <coughs> all's well that ends well. Uriah's dead. David and Bathsheba are married. Yes, they've lost their baby. That's hard. But they'll have others, you know. All's well that ends well. You know what that means. It means in spite of the situation that's been created, in spite of the chaos that's come, in spite of the problems that have arisen, in spite of all of that, as long as it ends well, if it ends well, then it's okay. And this seems to be kind of the, the mindset. But our sins, it's, they stumble us, our sins stumble others. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up for you adversity against you from your own house. Think of Absalom. David's son rapes his daughter. I can't even imagine. You, you have absolute chaos in your family. I can't imagine that these things are happening. Absalom rises up, and I, I, want, my, I, want, to, let's, I want my dad dead. And, and David, he's just, he's saying, I brought this upon myself. I brought this upon myself. These things that are happening to me. He says, I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. Remember when that happened? Who suffered? David's conc concubines suffered the humiliation because of David's sin. David said, you know, all's well that ends well. No, David said, no, 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 no. R remember my bones, my groaning, heavy upon me, drought of strength. Many are the sorrows, <laughs> shall, many sorrows shall be of the wicked. The Lord says, don't be stubborn. Don't wait until the hand of the Lord is heavy upon you. Don't wait until your strength is dried up. I'm almost done. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord 
also has put away your sin, you shall not die. So I guess it's true. What? All's well that ends well. <laughs> you know what, guys? The blessings upon our life are only due to the fact that the Lord is gracious and long-suffering. Remember Galatians chapter 6. As a man sows, that he shall also reap. You know, isn't it sad that modern-day Christianity has reduced the sowing and reaping to money? Not sin. Not, not reaping the consequences of our sin. Would you close your eyes for a moment? Lord, we thank you for the times that, that, that maybe we were close to danger, close to committing some sin that would have a radical effect upon our entire life. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, if we're married. We thank you for our, our marriage. We thank you for our husband that you've given us, for our wife that you've given us. We thank you. We thank you. We pray, Father, that we wouldn't have wandering eyes, that we wouldn't have a, a fantasy world in our mind, you know, if only or coveting another man's wife or another, man's, another woman's husband. We thank you for our children. We pray, Father, that as parents there would be this heavy sense of responsibility. Our children are watching. Our children know. Our children are, are, are insightful. Our children pick up on, on when things aren't right between mom and dad. We need to set an example for our children. Thank you, Lord, for strengthening us. We pray, Father, for the times that we have failed, the times we have given into temptation. We, we thank you, Lord, that, that you have forgiven us. And we pray, Father, that as we're maturing and growing in our relationship with you, that we have not come to believe that, well, all's well that ends well. You know, it all worked out in the end. But that prayerfully we've learned and we remember the heaviness of your hand the, the aching of our bones, the, the sorrow upon sorrow, the pain that is caused. Help us, we pray, Lord, to be faithful to you and to be faithful to those around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>